Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 12 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm calling this episode simply Discovery. And I'm doing that because I am going to go into uh, you know, the, the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery, talking about how it relates to Star Wars and how at least my own watching of this show is tempered by uh, by watching Star Wars and, and everything that's happening in, in the new canon there. Um, so sit tight. It is going to be a bit of a, a Trek episode. I clearly have wanted to get into that a little bit, but uh, hopefully pretty enjoyable anyways. In interesting, informative. Um, how am I Star Warsing still? I am Star Warsing. <laughs> Don't you worry. Um, I'm marveling and Star Warsing. I uh, yeah, well, I read uh, Neil Gaiman's Eternals. It was from 2006, I believe, and interesting premise, interesting setup. Uh, but ultimately, really just sets up a story. So you know, I, I definitely recommend you read it if you're interested in uh, in Neil Gaiman's work and Marvel, Marvel Universe generally, and. Does a good job of tying it in clearly to the Marvel universe, to the comics universe, um, but yeah, it's it's more the beginning of a story, and that was kind of disappointing. Um, the biggest news I'd say in terms of actual Star Wars thing so far, uh, from a certain point of view, is is out. Um, of course, coming up on next week, I will definitely do the the Rebels. Uh, yeah, episode. I just realized. Oh my goodness, it's October seventh. <laughs> Rebels season four coming out very very soon, um, October sixteenth. So yeah, I'll definitely next week be getting into that, and I will have hopefully have more time to do that. Um, but certain point of view came out. I haven't been gotten a chance to dive into it head first, uh, full on, just because. Well, what I realized so. A bit of a funny story. Um, Christy, not Christy Golden, E.K. Johnston uh, tweeted. She lives in southern Ontario and so kind of feels like one of our own. She is one of her own and hopefully she the feeling is mutual there. Uh, she she tweeted she went to uh, Chapters Indigo in uh, Kitchener uh, on the day on October 4th when that and another of her... Uh, one of her her own books is being were uh, certain point of view and a novel of her own was being released and that novel seems interesting but anyway <laughs> and she was excited except that the the indigo has these discount uh, stickers saying only thirty five dollars or whatever uh, it was covering her name in the top right corner so I kind of felt okay so she tweets this out saying ah covering my name anyway. Uh, just for that, I tweeted back to her and said, "Committed, I'm going to read your think your story first. Um, so, if you guys don't know, from a certain point of view, I think I mentioned this last week. I'll mention more deeply now. Forty years on from New Hope, and forty plus authors doing forty short stories about uh, a New Hope and moments in a New Hope from." different characters from certain perspectives of characters and uh and, and ak johnson and ashley Eckstein together co-wrote 
Hashtag Sun Hill Works voices Ahsoka Tano. They co-wrote a short story of the that final metal scene uh, from one of the characters in the Ahsoka novel that Ahsoka ends up meeting. Uh, we don't know what Ahsoka's fate is at this point, but um, we, and hopefully speaking of Rebels, we will hopefully find out. Um, but uh, from an, it's funny you from another character who we learn ends up uh, with the Rebel Alliance and is in that scene as part of the massive ranks of Rebels who are seeing uh, Luke and Han and not Chewie get their medal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really interesting, neat little take. Um, and then, of course, I uh, went to uh, Claudia Gray's input to this and Oh my goodness, Claudia Gray! Every I, I I I'm not exaggerating. I think I may have I mentioned this uh, in the book review episode I did a few weeks ago. I'm not exaggerating. Every single page that Claudia Gray has committed uh, contributed to the Star Wars universe is is dead on perfect. Belongs there. Um, her and Kieran Gillen are uh, who who's. Gonna head, head start having the the main comics run again. Uh, who wrote the the story for the Darth Vader comic, the 2015 Darth Vader comic run? Those two are almost as important to Star Wars as Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. I'm, I'm not exaggerating there. I think they've deeply enriched uh, how we understand things. There's that Defender summary again. Comes up every time. I'm gonna learn to disable that. Um, her and yeah, Claudia Gray and Karen Gillan have deeply enriched our understanding of Star Wars. Um, and Claudia Gray's contrib- contribution, I won't even tell you who, what point of view she does. You probably wouldn't be able to guess it. And I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. E.K. Johnson was, was great. Um, Claudia Gray, I, I'm, I'm speechless. It's just everything she does, including this short story that, um, that gives a point of view that we've never seen before, really. Um, so, in, in in multiple levels, and so so I definitely recommend uh, the proceeds. All the proceeds go to organizations that uh, I think an organization that Lucasfilm has teamed up with to um, donate books to uh, libraries and others that uh, for for kids who who may not be able to afford books and have access to them so it's definitely for a good cause um and uh matt martin at salt lake comic-con he said it was it was kind of iffy on whether they're canon they're in my mind they're at least head canon so i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy it <laughs> as such um but i won't be up in arms if lucasfilm if somewhere down the line the story if all that mean all canon really means is are they bound to it going forward um, in that sense? Uh, so I won't be up in arms if they if they go against it, if something contradicts. But for now, definitely going to enjoy it. It's, I, I'm going to reread both the Claudia Gray and E.K. Johnson, Nash Eckstein contributions because it actually goes in order from the film. I didn't actually realize that when I read E.K. Read, went to E.K. Johnson's was, is, of course, near the end because... This, that scene is at the end, um, but I'm, so I'm going to actually read it in chronological order, 
Um, oh, I did read the first one. Uh, and that one I will tell you is from the point of view of Ramus Antilles, who I guess from the the captain of the tenth v four, and uh, it goes from the moment we see in Rogue One of him handing the data tape to Leia uh, at the end of Rogue One to the moment of New Hope where Vader is is demanding where demanding from where she is and he kills well Vader kills Ramus Antilles. Spoiler alert for a film it's the beginning of a film that's been out for forty years. <laughs> um so speaking of things that haven't been out all that all that long. Uh yeah, so Star Trek Discovery. Um I think you guys could tell I was itching to get into it a little bit and find a way to talk about it in this podcast. I do want to maintain the discipline of this being a Star Wars podcast and not just that anything goes, even though I also talk about uh, what comics Marvel I'm reading or other things, but that's House of the Mouse, so I don't know. Um, But I do want to actually get into some of my thoughts here about Discovery. Um, And first, I, I tried to find the page in Inferno Squad, but one of my favorite little moments here in Inferno Squad is is the mentor if you haven't read it i won't tell you who it is but the mentor is but there's a, a character who's clearly well traveled and he's uh he talks about eating these wriggly wormy things that are still alive i, I tried to find the read i was gonna actually read the scene a little bit more at least the paragraph or the quote for you sometimes we're reading these wriggly things and someone asks him where where did you find that? Where did you taste that? Far, far away. <laughs> and that, that was a great little nod. Of course, Christy Golden has written for Star Trek too. So, as well, rather, I should say. She has written more Star Trek novels than Star Wars novels. Um, there is precedent for crossover. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, Simon Pegg is the the guy when it comes to... Uh, Star Trek going forward, I think he's, you know, the the Dave Filoni, if you will, of he's he's almost the star group. Not quite. There are other people, people developing Discovery, but surely with the films, he was the main, the the new films two thousand nine reboot. At least with Beyond, he was the main guy. Um, of course, he was on he's on Carplot in, in Force Awakens. So, I mean. What we're seeing there, here's my my overall point. First, first off, is the the whole debates about liking one or the other, and, and I'll preface all my comments by saying I definitely do enjoy both. I love both. Um, I I've told this before. I, I at the beginning, I I grew up a trekker, and uh, you know my mom was pregnant with my brother in. The fall of 1987, and I was two and a half years old, and so we spent my mom's mat leave watching the first season of The Next Generation, and, um, you know, it's as back in my memory, I mean, I don't remember the first time I saw Star Wars, I don't remember the first time I saw Star Trek, um, they're both back there, I remember having discrete periods of almost obsessive Star Trek fandom and discrete periods, including now, of 
upset some Star Wars fandom. Uh, I remember periods during my childhood having, when adolescents having Star Wars fandom. Um, this is, of course, this new phase that uh, after studying theology. So, all that to say, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, the, the two can coexist. And I wonder if part of that, and here, here I go again, hashtag prequelist. I wonder if part of it is um, the old debates were with the original trilogy, uh, almost the way Firefly sets it up too, right? I mean, another incredible series, may it rest in peace and rise in glory. <laughs> um, the way... Yeah, the rebels are are fighting against this ragtag group, fighting against this oppressive empire, and this large bureaucratic institution. That uh, when you, when you put a put it to it, it, it has this. I mean, both sides have an American face, of course, literally, because they're all Americans making this and British, but. Uh, George Lucas, there was kind of this subtle sort of dig at, uh, certainly the way American expansionism was, was even starting in, in the seventies and, uh, you know, the incursions into the, the CIA incursions into Latin America. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you go to Washington and you, I mean, the thing I was struck by going to Washington is. Just how big the, uh, uh, it's not not the EPA, the the agriculture USDA is. It has this, this complex sprawling, like half the National Mall. This very strong bureaucratic state. Um, and and what's interesting is the prequels complicate that a lot because. All of a sudden, the Republic are the good guys, and there's this mix, and uh, we can see the Republic military. We're kind of cheering for them in the Clone Wars a little bit, right? Uh, the Separatists are the ones set up to be the bad guys. And so what we see, what Star Trek always did was it always saw, oddly enough, the large bureaucratic state as the benevolent good guys you know the united federation of planets and it has this dignity i mean it it is i mean the the great american ideal of a concordant as in a a peaceful federal 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 bureaucracy federal society as in there's relationships between what happens um, in paris and san francisco and all these other planets that seek membership and you know, the prime directive and even Starfleet is exploratory and not, uh, not military primarily. You kind of get that a little bit with the prequels. Um, I think maybe people who are, I wonder if people, there is a correlation between Star Trek fans, people who like Star Trek and people who are, uh, who are, were more open to the prequels. I don't know if that's true at all. What I do know more recently is is two things and two points of conversion, convergence I see in different directions. Thrawn novel, that novel 
it's the first time where the Empire is actually seen as this benevolent thing. And it, it's done, if you haven't listened to it, um, I'll try not to spoil too much, but um, or read it rather. I listened to it on the audiobook and uh, very well done there. But Timothy Zahn's Thrawn, uh, I mean, it's done because through the, this character, Eli Vanto, who hunts backwoods, basically Texan. Uh, or, or or southern U.S. Uh, guy who 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 gets gets up there in the in the imperial rankings ranks in Coruscant and he isn't the most popular. Him and Thrawn aren't the most popular, but and, you know they face their share of of, of Coruscant elitism. Uh, that kind of sounds familiar, but they're kind of seen as the good guys, and I mean they begin. Uh, you know, with Vento, I mean, they begin with very kind of exploration protocols. And the Imperial Starfleet, the Imperial Navy, it has these ranks and these, these professional act, people acting professionally. Um, but you kind of get behind them. You think, okay, they're just going out about it. I think part of that is because Thrawn is, is one of the most likable Imperial characters we have. Um, he himself is kind of benevolent. But again, Eli Vanto is very benevolent. And so, um, you know, very, you, you cheer for him. And so, and, and, and he's certainly our entryway into the story is, you know, a lot of these stories, a lot of Star Wars need characters that we can relate to amidst all these other random uh, blue-skinned or, or Imperial Navy bureaucrats or people we can't relate to. Uh, blue-skinned tacticians. <laughs> Imperial Navy bureaucrats. Um, you got this Eli Vento character. And, and you cheer for him. You like it when Thrawn is actually good to him. Um, and, and Thrawn is actually good to him. And it's it's this surprising thing. So, for me, I mean, Timothy's on does this weird thing in that novel where I feel like, I felt like, oh, is this, is this Star Trek? Is, is the Empire basically the Federation? And is their Navy basically Starfleet? Like, what's happening here? Now, they do face rebel threats and, and different things. And, but Thrawn has an ethic to him. He has something approaching a prime directive. And... So we see that interesting convergence there. And um, <clears throat> I don't know what that means going forward. What I do know, another thing, a related point there is we are going to see more of the Imperial side of things. We're never going to see a full-on exoneration of Palpatine. <laughs> um, as I talked, to last, talked about last week, we're never going to see Darth Vader as a good guy. We're going to understand his motives and empathize with him to some degree, but he is still a villain. Don't let this whole podcast fool you. I'm not, I will not once claim that Darth Vader is not a villain. I also just strongly believe he's a victim. That's a thing I've gone over multiple times. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, there is, this convergence, oddly enough, because we're in a time, well, maybe, maybe it had to do with the Obama administration. I don't know. 
when liberals, Hollywood liberals, you know, geeks, fans, people who are normally, who tend to, this isn't an absolute hard and fast rule. My sense is that the tendency for Americans who, who make films and consume Star Wars and other, other pop culture fandoms uh, are, are more left-leaning. That's, again, not necessarily true, not absolute true. There are some some folks who are extreme right-wing, you know, like you know, men's rights activists and uh, <coughs> borderline white supremacists, or not borderline, but I think by and large, uh, they are more... Uh, more on the left, and so when Obama was in power, there was this sense of, okay, you know, at least the White House and hopefully Congress can be benevolent here. Um, we can get behind this idea that large state bureaucracies can be benevolent. Um, so maybe during this time, this this idea of Convergence between you know some not a convergence but a a detente almost if you will between fans of the Federation and fans of this this franchise the universe that has this empire in it. Um, and you know I mean during the Clone Wars we definitely are cheering for uh, the Republic. Clone Wars of course came out before. <coughs> oh no, it came out. Kind of around the Obama administration, so but of course in the wake of of Bush and in the wake of <coughs> sorry in the wake of uh, seeing how much money and evangelical Christianity, at least a certain brand of evangelical Christianity, were tied up into Bush's march to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, but. Maybe, yeah, there's a connection with the Obama administration. I don't know. Um, what we do know is there wasn't much going on with Star Trek at that time. Enterprise was was faltering. Uh, it was, well, it was done by then. Um, it had been largely a disappointment except for that last season, which I think is fantastic. Uh, except for the last episode of the last season, which is not fantastic whatsoever. <laughs> um, uh, but, I mean, well, well, Enterprise was good insofar as it, showed us uh, the makings of the Federation and how people were, how, how humans and Vulcans and Andorians and Hellarites were starting to come together and face this Romulan threat and face the the need to actually cooperate and collaborate and explore the galaxy together. So, so, so that, that's that one first point of conversion that, okay, benevolent large-scale bureaucracies. Um, maybe that's partly what, partly why uh, I find, uh, especially uh, Empire's End, but, you know, both Life Dead and Empire's End from Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy are, are I think, are fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed both those books. I frankly, again, I, I think Claudia Gray is wonderful and everything she's done is perfect. I think, I found Empire's End and Empire's End to do politics better than uh, Bloodline, but that's that's a whole other debate. That's another thing. Um, so, so yeah, so that that's the, that first point of convergence. Um, I didn't expect this to get all that political, but 
Hey, my one of my big influences here is Beltway Banthas, as you guessed from last week, and uh, I definitely care about Star Wars and politics and Star Trek and politics, and so that's that first point of convergence. Second point of convergence goes in the exact opposite direction, <laughs> and here's where we get uh, Star Trek Discovery. Here's where we get why Discovery is confusing. And here's where we get ultimately why I find Star Wars more satisfying than Star Trek. Uh, and I said at the beginning, they can coexist, they can come together, uh, and they are simply doing two different things, ultimately. Um, I find the thing that Star Wars is doing, uh, ultimately at its core, or at least at the heart of it, far more, uh, what's the word? Moving, uh, compelling, that's the word I'm looking for, compelling, then then at least Gene Roddenberry's original vision, and so what's confusing about Discovery is that it's going against Gene Roddenberry's original vision, or at least kind of appears to be, and so it's confusing, but it's a bit more compelling, so I'll, I'll get into this by way of discursus on what what Discovery is and what kind of fan theories about it are. Um, what Discovery is doing, what Enterprise tried to do, I think what the 2009 film's doing a little bit, um, but 2009 films have this, this funny trick of, they're, they're another timeline, so that's fine, they can do whatever they want. Um, Discovery, in its view of Starfleet, isn't all that benevolent. And its view of Starfleet isn't all that. And the Federation, you have these ideals, but in practice, we do not see them. Um, you know, Gene Roddenberry had this rule that the crew members themselves do not have conflict. That the conflict, the conflict of the show that is necessary for any story, really, of course, is not driven among the crew members themselves. Um, that yeah, and, and so there's that and then of course is the bigger metaphysical point of in 100, 200, 300 years we will have scienced the heck out of all of our conflict and all of our our troubles and all of our conflict yeah um, we will have scienced scienced religion to hell <laughs> to put it that way. Um, you know, this is the 60s. People had this idea, you know, John Lennon, that song that's just, thinks it's smart, but I don't think it's smart. <laughs> Imagine there's no heaven. We'll have no conflict, no war. Um, you kind of get where I'm going with this. This is this is ultimately a, a Christian podcast, so uh, bear with me here. Um, I actually did end up blogging about this. And so, anyway, get back to Discovery. So what Discovery is doing, DS9, what DS9 did was they brought in all these religious elements, and that's great. That's different, too. Discovery is having these conflicts and is having, I mean, there there was always the strain of individual actors who, individual characters, rather, who, who went against the grain who were more nefarious, more willing to bend or break moral rules. 
but they'd always get their comeuppance in the end. Here we have an entire ship, and if you and and you need to really watch the third episode of Discovery to get what I'm getting here. We have an entire starship where this weird science is going on, where don't know if you can trust the captain. Definitely can't trust the chief of security. Chief engineer has a bee in his bonnet about the captain, and we you can and it's understandable. And I definitely. Uh, buy into what that conflict is about or, or what, what the grievance is about, but surprisingly there is that grievance. Um, and, and people are, are, are struggling trying to reconcile what's going on there. Um, it's a little bit like as if there was a whole ship of Cassian Andor before Rogue One. Um, right. Or, or maybe even more a little closer parallel to Saw Gerrera, where you see the partisans, and yeah, they're uh, yeah they're they're fighting against the Empire and whatnot. But if you've read Lair, you see different in, in Leia and in other. I mean, that one line with Mon Mothma and Rogue One, maybe ca causing us difficulties, right? Uh, the, that Rebels episode, Saw Gerrera is in. They are not good guys. <laughs> Um, there is just like there's this bit of this dark side to the rebellion. There's this ship that this whole ship that Starfleet has sent out and spent all their credits on their Federation credits and whatever on, given purview to wage this war as they see fit. And people and fans of Star Trek fans are really struggling because it does not feel like Star Trek does not. The ideals of the Federation, um, at least not the attitudes and the whatnot. I mean, if even another so, someone not even part of the Discovery crew beginning makes this racist comment and against Tolerites. Um, so there are these theories coming up, as as, as there should be. Um, Star Trek is as as much a matter of fan theories as Star Wars is, but. So there are these theories, although maybe less so because it's more episodic television. It was more episodic television. Now that it isn't, now that it's um, a continuous thread, people have these theories. And, and one of the big theories is uh, in the Mirror Universe somehow. Um, and the Mirror Universe was this fun way of basically making it a lot like closer to Star Wars and that having the Terran Empire is this not at all benevolent human-centric organization that has this Starfleet that doesn't explore it, it, it kicks some butt, <laughs> um, and, uh, and and clearly not interested in peace or in reason or in scientific exploration or any of that. Um, in your universe, another theory is uh, this is all just a dream, all just a dream, all just a dream. Um, and, and I would be. I would be up in arms if that were the case. If either of those were the case. Just from a storytelling angle. Um, just from a... We've tracked these characters. We've... These conflicts and... They're telling us it's in the prime timeline and all that. And it was all just a dream. All just a dream. Come on. Give me a break, right? <laughs> what a letdown that would be. 
Um, in other words, all this stuff doesn't matter. Stuff we were investing doesn't have any consequences or implications for how we read the story going forward. Set ten years before we were in all serious and well, how we read everything going forward. Um, you know, because here's the thing, and well, I'll get to a better theory in a minute. But just here's the thing: is if it is actually some more nefarious. Um, morally ambiguous whole ship whole crew whole wing of the Federation whole wing of Starfleet that is more compelling in a lot of ways um, what was compelling in Star Wars more than Star Trek in the beginning uh, was its take on human nature that you know, I mean you have Luke being this whiny <laughs> brat who I want to go to Tashi Station to pick up his power converters. All that, you know. And yeah, he kind of, we understand his, his struggle, but come on, there, there may be more mature ways of dealing with this or rushing off to save Han and Leia when there's more, t- more, more things to learn and putting himself at risk and all that. Um, of course, you have Anakin growing up as a slave and um, that coming back to, to get him uh, you know, when he when he's seeing his mother dying at the hands of the the sang the same people and he just out comes that lightsaber and he just takes them out. Um, you know uh, that this large-scale bureaucracy, here we go again, isn't isn't in the end going to be all that benevolent. It's going to be taken in by all these money interests and power is going to be consolidated in the center. I mean, that's a really, by the way, just a side thought. I mean, we get why Mon Mothma wants to move the capital around. And, and with Empire's End, we see her moving the capital to some not-so-important planet. And I hope that you know, that creates helps create the stability that we see, uh, the stability that they're holding on to too dearly, I guess, a little bit. And by the time the Force Awakens comes around, they aren't able to go out and face this resistance threat. Um, but you know, with Star Wars, yeah, but we see that tension in Star Wars more fully that. We can't exorcise it with science. Um, with discovery, it's a scientific vessel that we uh, <laughs> that is actually helmed by. You know, the, all of the question I always get is, "What if it gets into the wrong hands? What if it already is?" Right? I mean, we saw with you know, what if? The, I mean, the, the novel Catalyst, the Rogue One prequel novel Catalyst. It's all about, okay, these kyber crystals, can, the Ersos have figured out this way to turn kyber crystals in this wonderfully brilliant source of energy. Just in the same, very, not, not very similar, exactly the way we see the debates about nuclear energy uh, coming about nowadays. Um, you know, but, and the Ersos are always concerned, okay, 
well, maybe a hint of concern that we have throughout the book because we know where it ends up. What if this ends up in the wrong hands? Um, of course, we know with <clears throat> we know with the the Erso's fate, and we know with what happens with Alderaan, all that it already is in the wrong hands. It's in the Emperor's hands. Um, with the same question of what if this spore drive or whatever, what if there are no right hands? What if that's partly what, uh, I mean, we know it doesn't end up working because, spoiler alert, there are, there are no, there's no spore drive in the original series or anywhere else. Um, if there is spore drive by the time of Voyager, there'd be no series because they could just come back in two minutes or even closer. I don't know. Shorter. In two seconds, maybe. Anyway. Um, so it's interesting, it's compelling, and the only way I can see that working is, this is the best theory I've heard, is uh, Section 31. And with Section 31, if, for those who don't know, it's named after a section of the Federation Charter that says Starfleet can use any means, or, or kind of this, this notwithstanding clause, if you will. It's a reference to Canadian uh, human rights legislation or, or human rights case law. Uh, they can use extraordinary measures. And so there's this this group that's kind of working always behind the scenes and very small, very limited. We see it in DS9. We see it in Enterprise. Hints of it, shades of it in Enterprise. Um, but we've never seen it have the scale and capabilities of an entire starship. Um, that, to me, it's it's unsettling. I think... Um, on the Collider review of, of Discovery. It was unsettling for the, the most ardent Star Trek fans, but it's more compelling for two reasons. Um, what we, I mean, what they're doing in that direction. Well, again, it's more compelling, of course, first of all, because <coughs> it doesn't really give into the conceit of... Uh, oh, this is all just a dream or all just a mirror universe or whatever, and we can go back and be our merry way. Um, it, it makes Starfleet and the Federation, it, it, it makes it a little more real. It makes it a lot more realistic, frankly. And that's the thing about Star Wars. For all its space operiness, we just simply don't believe that a a large galactic bureaucracy is always going to be that benevolent. Um, I mean, that's the touchstone that that the original trilogy really hit on. That's the touchstone that the prequels in more subtle ways hit on. I mean, it's more, it's, I mean, the prequels are a lot more complicated and more realistic in how more complicated they are. That is because on the one hand, we're kind of cheering for, well, you know, you watch Clone Wars TV show, of course, we're cheering for Obi Wan and Ahsoka, and we're like, "Oh, come on, Anakin, for Christ's sake!" But for Christ's sake, right? He, he's you like him, and you see in Rebels just how much Ahsoka. You see in, in Twilight of the Apprentice and other episodes just how much Ahsoka really respected and cared for Anakin. Um, of course, you see at the end of Revenge of the Sith, "You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you." Um, it's it's that 
not an either or answer. And what's compelling ultimately for that, and this all brings to a close with a bit more spiritual thing. I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. We aren't going to science all our conflicts, all our problems into hell. Just, you know, as, as we can make all our discoveries and hope that people see a common reason, a common rationality, but there are emotional and spiritual and psychological forces at play that, frankly, I think make that impossible. Um, that we can't simply look to a set of jurisprudence and a, the the apparatus of of state bureaucracy as our savior to to pull a line from Bill Kavanaugh. Um, we are called as part of, you know as Christians and and Jews. I don't know what the reading of, of Jeremiah twenty nine is, but we are called to seek the welfare of the city where God has planted us and where we are. But we desire <laughs> the, the order of Canada motto from Hebrews. We desire a better country. Uh, you know, the kingdom of God. And um, you know, we, we seek to be sensitive to, sensitive to definitely sensitive to diversity and to the way human rights and, and liberal democracy can help mediate that diversity. And that's profoundly important. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the scary, dangerous thing about white supremacists and the whole Trump thing, if you will, is, you know, they're off of that beaten path. Um, but, and... and you know, I would say the state does need to take a responsibility in, in more coordination. Um, you know, I would say I'm a good social democrat here. Uh, you know, certainly a country of 32 million, 33 million, we can have more, more funding for sure from Ottawa and more le regulation, legislation coming out of Ottawa. Um, in conversation with the provinces, in conversation with with municipalities and of course uh, indigenous communities need to have a stronger voice at the table um, but ultimately we desire a better country the kingdom of heaven and um, what I find more compelling about Star Wars ultimately is the way the force calls people to seek that better country too it isn't simply that oh we figured it out and now we're gonna go on our merry way and bring the the gospel of science and reason and of the secular enlightenment to the cosmos um we even tried that in in iraq and in afghanistan and you know, we've seen how that worked out <laughs> we you know i mentioned U.S. incursions in Latin America, uh, and, and with the Cold War, we said we were we say we were bringing peace and freedom, but uh, at what cost? <laughs> and maybe some of that's true to some degree. Yeah, we want to encourage, get encouraged these 
these bureaucracies and, and especially legislative uh, bodies to be able to mediate and navigate this diversity and of course elections and freedom of speech and all this stuff um but freedom is an exercise of the will <laughs> freedom is the agency to follow what you've been called to right it's no coincidence that the empire has stamped out the jedi has stamped out any belief in the force um, that that's the thing by, by the time of the original trilogy uh tarkin is able to say to vader you my friend are all that's left of their ancient religion and you get no disagreement from vader there you get it's tarkin just simply stating a fact uh, that the empire has stamped out the galaxy's imagination except for the emperor um, and you know, then you talk about power corrupting well <laughs> there it is so uh that's why i mean that's why i'm intrigued by discover what discovery is going i do i mean this thing again with all that stuff about liberal democracy and enlightenment and progress and Free scientific inquiry is very much part of the the benefit of uh, living in a liberal democracy. Um, my freedom to say whatever I want on a podcast and upload it on the internet. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to quote T Tony Campolo here. Uh, all about of all the Babylons in the world, Canada is pretty good Babylon. Gotta say. Um, I don't know what's happening with the U.S. either way. Um, you know, presidents, prime ministers, they come and go. <laughs> uh, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Discovery does going forward. It'll be probably more interesting, frankly. I'm more interested in uh, with The Last Jedi and how... Uh, it will, you know, we have a galaxy devoid of any galaxy-spanning bureaucracy now. But you have Luke hitting on the, the wellspring, at least of the Jedi. Like the the table rock, uh, the waterbed or whatever it is. Um, the water main that is the mysteries of the Force. And... Uh, what I'm interested in, in seeing there then is how it is that, uh, what then shall we do? How then shall we live? Um, who should Ray be and who should she become? If she is to be the last Jedi or who knows what that refers to. Um, I'm interested to see what discovery does. <coughs> you know, how does it navigate a whole ship with, with these ambiguities? Um, well, how does Michael Burnham's Vulcan upbringing and and definitely believe I believe she's committed to the ideals of the United Federation of Planets, as she says. Where does how does how does that? I hope that gets transformed and harnessed and pressed because it's going to be put through the smelter in this in this series, and that's 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 actually what is really compelling about this show.
that show. So I'm going to keep watching it. Um, I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to start watching Rebels, of course. Um, maybe a bit of news housekeeping there. Um, I'm going to do my best to keep up this regular podcasting. Um, and so the news segment or the Star Wars segment will be part of that at the at the the opening will be this brief uh non-spoiler review of each rebels episode and what i thought either that or i might make it its own little uh little snippet of an episode of bonus maybe the rogues i don't know um hopefully yeah I'll, i'll i'd like the first option um but maybe you guys have better ideas um and 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 hopefully and if you do have thoughts and comments about <coughs> uh, about this episode, about p- past episodes, uh, please do hit me up on Twitter at neug485. Follow me on Instagram at mneug1138. And again, may the force be with you always. <laughs>